As we begin, let's go to God in prayer, if we could. Father, we do thank you for this day. God, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share what you are doing, Father, not only in my life, but in this world, as we see in your word. And Father, we pray, I pray this morning, as we open your word, we would encounter Jesus, a living Jesus, who is active and is changing the hearts and mind of people throughout this world. And Father, we pray that as we open your word, we would see your power and your glory at work in our life. And so many of the big questions that we have, that we would see the answer in Jesus. Father, do not leave us the same as when we came today. But Father, change us. Make us new. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We began a new series last week looking at the life of a man named Joseph who is one of the early leaders of this nation of Israelites that that God had called from a man named Abraham. And he was using this new nation to bless the world and to bring his kingdom um, into to fruition. And so we, we're asking the question through this series um, as we look at the life of Joseph, because Joseph's story leaves us with so many really big questions. But we're asking this question, how would someone in my situation respond if they completely trusted God? How would someone in my situation respond if they completely trusted God? I have a friend named Lisa Joe. She was our secretary at Cleveland. I've shared this story before, but um, about 10 or 15 years ago, her son, Josh, and granddaughter, Madeline, were killed by a drunk driver. Josh was in the Navy, and he was home on leave, and he was driving from where he was stationed um, to his house, and he was in Fort Worth about an hour from home and a a drunk driver late one night crossed over the center line and hit their car head on instantly killing him and his daughter and it's funny when you go to a, a funeral at some something like that because you will hear things that that challenge what you believe and make you think I heard someone say well it was just God's will and I was left with this question of, what was it really? Many of you know our friends, the Nelsons, Ty and Courtney. Their son, Brody, is nine years old, and this past January did not wake up one morning. And as they started looking, he went through an 11-hour surgery where they discovered he had brain, a brain tumor. And they removed it, and they thought they got all of it, and they did radiation just simply to get, make sure that it was gone and wasn't coming back. And when they got done with the radiation, they found that it had come back and it had actually spread. And you, you see these moments where you think, well, that's not right. 
That, that's not fair. That's not the way it should be. And with Lisa Joe and, and her son and granddaughter, we have someone to blame. We, we have someone that we can look at and we can say, oh, it's their fault and they didn't do the right thing. But then when you have Brody and the cancer that he's going through, there's no one that you can point the finger at. And I think that gets even more difficult. And then there's events like this, the Super Bowl this past year. And you hear athletes saying, well, well, God wanted us to do this. And we did this because we love God. And, and so many cool stories came from this. But, but just looking at the picture, you know this is not from God. It's the eagles. <laughs> you know God did not have a hand in that. But, but you hear athletes say things like that, and you wonder, what, was God really in a game? And if he was in a game, could his time have been better spent dealing with one of the other situations so that it didn't happen? Or you hear people say things like, well, I was just running late, and then all of a sudden this parking spot opened up, and it was the closest one right there, and God took care of me. And, and you look and you think, wait a minute. I have a friend whose son has cancer. And you think God helped with a parking spot. Or with something like a new job. And we think, well, well, God has led us here. He's opened the doors and he's made it possible. He placed me here. And maybe he did. But I wonder at what point and at what level God sits down and intervenes. See, the, the really cool thing we saw last week in the story of Joseph is one of the things we have in Joseph's life is we have the luxury of looking back. We get to see how the story ends and in this short snapshot of about 15 or 20 years of a man's life, we get to see how God's fingerprints were orchestrating and moving in his life and doing things that were helping not just Joseph, but an entire nation of people. But I wonder if in the, the, the middle of the prison cell, or walking in a line of prisoners in shackles, or as a slave, if Joseph's sitting here thinking, well, it's not that big of a deal because God's in control. See, the story brings so many really big questions because we come to this with this understanding and this theology based around the sovereignty and providence of God. Sovereignty says that God is big and that he is over everything and in control of all. And providence talks about the ways that God provides for his people and takes care of them. And these questions come up because we see events like Brody or Lisa Joe's son or the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, which we know is not from God, and we see a parking spot. I'm going to make sure you know that by the end. If you don't get anything else, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl is not of God. You, you see these events that, that come up, and we think, well, God is sovereign. He's over all. He's in all. He can do anything. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And he provides for his people. He's promised us that. 
And so if God is sovereign, if God shows His favor to His people, then why do we have events like this? How do we have Joseph, a man who's really done nothing wrong, finds himself in prison? And so you have these questions that keep popping up. Well, what about evil? Can God cause evil? Does God just allow evil to happen? Why doesn't God stop evil? Does God control every decision? Is God basically a cosmic chess player who has all these different games going where he's just moving pieces and parts from board to board, making sure that everyone is doing exactly what they're supposed to? Or what about the other side where we have free will and we have the decision to choose? See, the story of Joseph brings up so many of these theological questions for me. Because Joseph is a a young boy at 17 when he has a few dreams and he tells his brothers and it creates this animosity. And then his father sends him out into the fields to check on his brothers. And he see him and they make this plan where they're going to kill him and end up deciding just to sell him into slavery. And so at 17 years old, Joseph is taken out of his home. His father who loves him, who cares for him, who really is his favorite. And he's made a slave in Egypt. But there, in Egypt, he begins to see God at work in his life. And here's what it says. This is the account of Jacob's... Let me skip. I already kind of covered that. Let me, let me skip down to 37, verse 24. And they took him, and they threw him into a cistern. And the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. And they were on their way to take him, them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. And so he's sold into slavery. And then as he is in slavery, he's a slave in Potiphar's house. It says, The Lord was with Joseph. He's a slave, but yet the Lord was with Joseph. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to him everything He owned. So Joseph is in Potiphar's house as a slave, and Potiphar begins to see that God is with him, and he begins to give him more and more and more and more responsibility, and eventually puts everything in his care. And I'm sure you have these moments where you think, well, everything in my life is lining up right. 
obviously God is in this. I wonder if 17 and sold into slavery, Joseph would say, well, obviously God is with this. I mean, obviously now, with everything going the way that it should go, obviously God is with this. Obviously God wants this to happen. And so he finds himself in this position in Potiphar's household where Potiphar's given him everything, And then Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, enters the picture. And she starts to seduce Joseph and say, come to bed with me. And Joseph resists until one day she catches him by the cloak and says, come to bed with me. And he leaves his cloak in her hands and he runs. And Mrs. Potiphar goes to her husband and said, hey, this Hebrew that you brought here and put him in charge of everything, he just tried to rape me. And Potiphar becomes angry and throws him in prison. And Joseph is going on this roller coaster ride where he's sold and then he receives this prominence, this prominent place in this powerful Egyptian's household. And then he finds himself again a prisoner. And as the the text says, When his master heard, verse 19 of 39, when his master heard his wife had told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put him in charge of all those he held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Four times in chapter 39, he talks about God's presence with Joseph. That God was with him. Now, I don't know about you, but one phrase I never want to say is, well, hey, Gary, how was your day? It was okay. But I think my warden is really starting to like me. I, I... the, the one person I do not want to find favor with is a prison warden. The, the one person I don't want to concern myself with, I mean, the list isn't really long, but I guarantee you it makes the top five. And Joseph finds himself in prison and God working in his life. And it's interesting, when we talk about God's will and how God's working, most of the time, what you'll hear people say is when something bad happens, we struggle to see God. But when there's the good, when something good is happening, then it's, well, obviously God is in this. God wanted me to get this raise. God wanted me to be healed. God wanted me to get this house. God wanted me to get this parking spot. God wanted me to win this game. Which brings up the 
other side of the coin coin in the question. What about when the bad stuff happens? I wonder if our theology and our understanding of how God is at work in the world is maybe a little bit one-sided or maybe off-base altogether. Theologians talk about the will of God and they really kind of define it in three wills. There's first is the decretive will, that God decrees something. God says, let there be light, and there is light. There is nothing that can stop it. It will happen because God has said it. Moses parts the Red Sea, and the waters will part. There is nothing that can stop it. The next is the perceptive will of God. And it refers to the idea that God has given these commands. God says you shall not commit adultery or you shall not kill your neighbor. And you have a choice in the matter as to how you will respond. And that choice is not absent of consequences, but you do have a decision. That, that from your decision, there could be judgment that comes from it. There could be consequences but you get to decide if you're going to be obedient to it or not. And then the last is the permissive will of God. Because if you haven't noticed, there are quite a few people on this earth. Seven and a half million. Billion, sorry. Seven and a half million would be really nice, right? Seven and a half billion people in this world. And at times, they make choices that go against what God has said or commanded his people to do. And the rest of us, even when we're obedient, have to deal with the consequences of other people's decisions, of other people's choices. A.W. Tozer is a theologian, and he talked about the will of God is a cruise ship. He said, imagine for just a minute that a cruise ship is setting out from New York and heading to England. And without question, unless something happens, that ship is going to arrive in England when it leaves the port. Now in that room on that ship, there are lots of different rooms and lots of different peoples. And for the most part, they have a decision what they do on that ship. They can get up when they want to. They can choose when they're going to go to dinner. They can choose to do things, and that those things might bring judgment. They might bring consequences with them. But in large part, they have a choice as to how they will behave and act in relationship to everyone else on that ship. But regardless, the ship is going to leave New York and arrive in England. And you are going to be on it. And you have a choice in how you will respond. When Jacob, who is Joseph's father, is born, God tells him that he's going to rule over his older brother, Esau. 
But in the story, Jacob takes matters into his own hand and he deceives his father and his brother in order to take that blessing. And you, you hear that story and you think, well, wait, wait, wait. How, how is God at work in this deception? If God has said that's going to happen and Jacob chose to deceive his brother, why does God honor that? Why does he allow that to happen? Or you have things like Paul finding himself in prison. And Paul says that this is for the good that, that I've gotten to teach people who are here in prison simply because of this. And God's working it out for good. Or you have stories like John the Baptist who finds himself in prison and beheaded and killed. And then you have Joseph sold as a slave by his brothers finds himself in prison and you have to ask the question God where are you in this? What, what are you doing in the midst of the uncertainty? What are you doing? What is your will? I think one of the, the things we struggle with the most when we talk about will is our world view. Because most of us are born as children with this egocentric worldview. And God is desiring us. I think Jesus talks about constantly letting go of this self-centric, egocentric worldview to see the world that God loves and died for and cares about. And our tendency, our nature, is to go back to this self-centric, egocentric worldview. Because when we talk about God's will, most of the time we talk about what's happening, happening specifically in my life. We, we talk about what's going on for me. Well, is this God's will? Is it God's will that I ended up with this diagnosis? Is it God's will that I ended up with this loss? Is it, is it God's will that I lost my job? Is it God's will that I'm out of work? Is it God's will that this is happening to me. And we have this very egocentric, self-centric worldview that goes with it. And God, in, in our mind, God's world centers around us. Like we are center stage. And what's really fascinating in this story of Joseph is if you look at the story, this snapshot, Joseph is going through some really, really difficult time. As a slave, as a prisoner, in a foreign land. But all that he's going through is going to be used to save an entire nation for generations to come. I mean, if you look at this story in terms of Joseph and you, you fix your eyes and, and focus on Joseph and what's happening and you say, well, Joseph's in prison and Joseph's a slave and Joseph... But if you step back and you look at this story, you have an entire nation of people that it seems God has positioned Joseph to save and to rescue and to place him right where he needed him at the exact 
moment the people would need him. See, if all you ever see is you, it becomes really difficult to see what God is doing in and around you and through you. It's really difficult to step back and see what place you have in this world in this bigger picture. You know, we've often said at times, God will take you to places that you have not chosen to go in order to produce in you what you are incapable of producing on your own. The Bible calls that grace. And most of the time when we talk about grace, it's always God providing in the good. But I think there are a lot of times in the bad, in the hurt, in the pain, in the fear, in the loneliness, that God provides His grace that is forming us, that is shaping us, that is making us into a person that's going to affect nations for generations to come. The story is not just about you. God's will does not center around you. And we ask this question. How would someone in my situation respond if they completely trusted God? See, this question reframes our life. And it changes the way that we see our place in this world. How would God, or how would someone with my marriage respond if they completely trusted God? How would someone with my job respond if they completely trusted God? How would someone with my kids respond if they completely trusted God? How would someone with my debt my diagnosis respond if they completely trusted God? How would someone who suffered the loss that I have respond if they completely trusted God? You know, in the story of Jacob, just after he's deceived his father and he's on the run from his brother Esau, he lays down and he has this dream. And in this dream, he sees a stairway. And at the top of the stairway, there's the Lord. And God is affirming the promise, reaffirming the promise that he had given to Abraham. Saying, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you great. I'm going to give you descendants. And this new nation is going to be a blessing to all the other nations. And Jacob, it says, wakes up from this dream. And he says, surely God was in this place. And I was not aware of it. See, most of the time when we talk about God's will, we talk about what has happened to us in the past. And I wonder if we spend so much time talking about what happened last that we miss what's happening now. Or we spend so much time worrying and thinking about what's going to happen in the future 
that we forget about the present. And it's really difficult to see God in the present, in the here and the now, in the difficult situations when we're focusing on why we've gotten here or where we're going next. And I wonder if God's will is more about your next step than it was your last step. Or maybe even someone else's last step. Because most of the time when things happen to us, they happen because of three reasons. One, we've done them to ourselves. We've made a decision. There are consequences that go with that. Two, there's someone else's decision that was made, and we have to deal with the consequences of it. And in those two, it's pretty easy because we have someone to blame and point the finger at. If we look honestly, maybe it's us, or maybe it's our neighbor. Maybe it's that person that we work with. But then there's the third reason. When things just happen, when things just happen, and we're left to deal with them, it's the diagnosis. It's the loss. And it's happened. And our tendency is to look back and to look forward. And maybe, maybe more than anything, what God wants you to see in that moment is Him in the middle of your circumstances. It's Him in the middle of the situation that you find yourself in. Because what we know is that God is faithful. And if God is faithful, then we can be faithful. And the question then, well, what does faithfulness look like? Because let's be honest, it's more than just coming to church. It's more than just showing up on a Sunday morning. Faithfulness looks like being obedient to God in the next step, wherever that step is. In fact, maybe God's hand in this is more about what we do in response to our situation than the situation that we find ourselves in. Maybe God did not cause Joseph to end up as a slave in Egypt. But I guarantee you God is big enough and strong enough that he can work with someone who is a slave in Egypt. Maybe God's plan was not for Joseph to end up a prisoner in Egypt. Or in Potiphar's house. Or in Pharaoh's service. But one thing we know about God's sovereignty He can do anything with anyone at any time if they will be faithful to Him. And so when we talk about God's will, forgetting about what has happened and what will happen, what if we thought of what is our next step? What what does it look like to be faithful in our very next step, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what we find ourselves with, regardless of the pain, regardless of the loss, regardless of the diagnosis, regardless of the kids? What does it look like to be very faithful to Christ right here and now where we find ourselves? As Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he begins and he tells them, Praise be to our God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption in his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And here's what that fulfillment looks like. To bring unity to all things, in heaven and on earth under Christ. What is God doing in this world? He is moving this world broken and shattered and torn apart into complete unity. And so for His followers, those of us who are in Christ, the baptized, who have put Him on, who are trying to be obedient to His will. What does it look like for us to follow the will of God? It looks like being faithful in our next step. It it looks like lives that are filled with love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. It's like lives that have our, our eyes fixed on Jesus the author, the perfecter of our faith. It's like people who have their hearts and their minds fixed on things above and not on things that are happening around us. Because God's will is more about your next step than it is your last step. What's God's will for your life? It's to be faithful in whichever situation, whatever circumstances you encounter. Because there will be good things that happen. And there will also be bad. There will be things that we are certain God has had a hand in. And there are things that we will question with every ounce of our being. God, where are you? And I would say he is right there in the middle of each and every one of them. And as Paul's finishing up this little section here in the the start of his letter, he reminds these believers that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And he empowers you. That spirit empowers you in the difficult decisions, in the difficulties of being faithful right where you are to live this life that is so different from everyone else. Because here in the the midst of ridiculously difficult circumstances, as a slave separated from his father in prison in Potiphar's house, we see Joseph being faithful to God. And what's amazing is everyone around him seems to notice it. His life is set apart. 
His life is different from everyone else, and they notice it. See, Christ has called us to a life that is radically different from the rest of the world, that is set apart that is trusting completely that God is in control and that He is working all things out. And I think we, we totally mess up that passage in Romans 8 because most of the time we say, well, well, God's working everything out for our good, for those who... But that's not what He says. He says God's working out for good to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He doesn't say for yours individually. He talks about collectively is what God is doing in this world. I think in that purpose of Ephesians to bring all things to unity in Christ and under Christ and heaven and earth. That is his purpose. And so if you are in Christ, if you follow Jesus, that has become your purpose. To be faithful in whatever step. And maybe the the most faithful question we can start asking is not, well, did God mean for this to happen? But simply acknowledge that it has happened. And begin looking for Christ in the middle of those circumstances. Asking the question, how do I be faithful? here and now where I find myself with this loss with this diagnosis with this job with my family with my marriage what does it look like here and now to be faithful I think We could pick up from the writer of Hebrews, as we looked at a couple weeks ago. He says, how do you do that? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Father, today, Father, today we want to be faithful to you. We want to be faithful with all that we have and all that we are. We want to be faithful in the difficult times and in the good times. We want to be faithful when we're certain we know that you are in this and when we're questioning where you are. We want to be faithful in every single step of every single day to Jesus. And Father, in the cross we see the faithfulness of Him who's calling us to be faithful. The faithfulness of Him who endured the cross and suffered and laid down His life to give us life. And Father, we find that that in faithfulness in our faithfulness 
that true life is found as we die. As we die to ourself, as we die to the world as we know it. So that we can see your world fully and finally realized. And we can see all things brought to perfect unity on heaven, in heaven and earth, under Christ. Father, this is our prayer. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, we offer you that invitation this morning. Come, have your sins washed away. Begin life new. And the God who is faithful will continue to be faithful to you until the end. And if we could pray for you in any way, we're going to have our ministry staff, our shepherds, around the back of the auditorium. We would love whatever we could do to help you as we stand and sing.